Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I am preparing this podcast from Pematang Siantar in North Sumatra. And I just want to thank everyone who has offered wonderful feedback about this podcast and about the books. I really do my best to serve you guys, even though it can be quite difficult at times to run a podcast like this one while constantly on the road. Uh, You know, most podcasters have a studio at home, but I'm some 12 hours away from the U.S. just kind of running this from my backpack. And so your support just means so much to keep the show going. Just to give you an idea, I have not found a single Wi-Fi spot in the past week out here in Sumatra. So I actually have to transfer this episode onto a USB stick and then try to upload it to my website from an internet cafe. And of course, to do that, I have to download an FTP client onto the computer at the internet shop. So I don't know whether I'm going to be able to do that or not, but, but just to give you an idea, you know, what it's like. Um, it's a bit of work and to do all this on the go, but I'm, I'm really just here to serve you guys. And if you can just take one moment to write a review on iTunes, just search for the Open World Podcast. That would make such a huge difference. And uh, yeah, so just having fun over here. Over the last couple of days, we've taken a boat out onto Lake Toba and uh, visited the local Batak people, smoked with the sailors. I uh, ate chocolate from a bean for the first time in my life, and every day just jogging through rice paddies, and and everyone here is just so amazing, from the kids to the adults, and it's just such a wonderful way of life out here. I've been really, um, it's really opened my eyes just to new way of of living and being. you know, so many of us from Western developed countries, we work so hard just to retire to a life like this, and these people get to enjoy it every day. And I've been staying as a guest with the Batak people who have just been so uh, accommodating and so welcoming, and they're not jaded by, uh, by tourists yet out here. And um, yeah, it's been great. So Without any further ado, I bring you episode 45 of the Open World Podcast with lifestyle entrepreneur Jesse Krieger. Good morning, everyone. We're broadcasting today from Penang, Malaysia for this episode before I hop over to the island of Sumatra, Indonesia. And I think it's fitting today because uh, our guest is the author of the book Lifestyle Entrepreneur, Live Your Dreams, Ignite Your Passions, and Run Your Business from Anywhere in the World. His name is Jesse Krieger. And... um, it was initially marketed to Asia, I believe, and became a bestseller in Malaysia before hitting the international circuit. Is that right, Jesse? Hey, Danny. And yeah, um, actually probably not far from where you're recording this right now. I've probably done a <laughs> book signing or something for Lifestyle Entrepreneur. That's amazing. I want to um, ask you about the story about that. But uh, first, I just want to, to run through your bio here real quick, uh, maybe just fire off a couple of notes. Um, your career as a lifestyle, I guess, enthusiast kind of began early with your, your parents. They instilled a passion for music and traveling, and then you, you booked a ticket to Europe and uh, made a living as a musician for a year, uh, started a record label. You were, worked as a dating coach traveling around. Um, 
I'm sure I've missed a bunch of stuff, but you, you've had a hand in all kinds of stuff. And um, maybe you could just kind of expand on the introduction and give me and the listener a little bit more uh, of the backstory. Sure. Um, yeah, I always feel like that, you know, I'm somebody that has never started down the traditional path to, to begin with um, in the sense that, you know, from a very young age, I was in love with music, electric guitar and, you know, learning, ditching school to learn Jimi Hendrix songs and playing out in bands. And, uh, and you know, that's what I followed to first Los Angeles uh, and then to Europe for a year, tr- playing in bars and clubs and playing on the street in summertime and, uh, and recording at night, like in a basement in a student dorm. So, you know, I, I was less interested in entrepreneurship initially and much more in uh, in music and just figuring out how to make that passion a reality in a, you know, in, in a career type of a sense. So it was, you know, from there, we uh, eventually formed a, a record label. And then I got introduced to or, or actually started my first business um, in support of that, that dream to be a musician. Um, but once I made the connection that business itself can be a creative act, it can be an art, um, and how you set up and structure your business and the way that you're involved in it and the teams and the support and way that you work with clients is all very creative. Once I made that connection, I think that's the only common thread that may exist between a number of disparate, uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, from dating coaching to uh, doing boot camps in, in Asia to learning Chinese to all sorts of things. So. <laughs> um, but but that yeah I mean so after you know just to follow that thread forward after having a, a band and a record label where we had hired a team and raised money and released our album got to tour around the U.S. a few times and ultimately sort of realized the one of the goals I had as a young kid and then I started to wonder because I couldn't see myself doing this when I was forty uh, you know traveling around and playing shows every other night. I was like, well, what else would I do? And that sort of was this point of embarkation towards consulting with people to sort of understand how their business works and also get to know an industry and and add value um, to doing other types of uh, startups, one in the renewable energy industry where we bought and sold uh, wholesale renewable energy credits uh, to even having a promotional products business. We had a company called USB Superstore that manufactured in Asia and had a sort of four-hour workweek style business model where we had a team of people around the world coordinating uh, the production and, and shipping of, you know, hundreds or in some cases thousands of branded USB flash drives. And, uh, and I get a kick out of being involved in new things and just sort of hacking a, a new industry or a new uh, business focus and, and having a project to work on, which over time, uh, if that's sort of my continual MO, all that adds up to what looks like a bunch of interesting, diverse accomplishments and undertakings. <laughs> it seems like you had the entrepreneurial drive uh, uh, in your DNA pretty early, I'd say, right? I was, yeah, I mean, my, my father is actually an entrepreneur as well as okay. uh, a really great accountant. So he sort of straddled this like creative side with entrepreneurship and very structured, very uh, linear with like accounting and he even worked for the IRS. But I, I do I do feel fortunate that even though I wasn't initially interested in it, I was exposed to and, and around business and business people from a pretty young age. So I guess some of it, like, you know, you learn through osmosis or just by uh, 
being around people having conversations about inventory and profit and loss and things like that? <laughs> I think it was it was the same. My experience. My father was an entrepreneur as well, and um, you know, just from age nine or so, he had me like you know knocking on people's doors, offering to take their trash out to the dumpster for them. And um, by like twelve <laughs> or thirteen, we were making pogs. You know, the cardboard uh, yeah. came, <laughs> and we were selling. <laughs> selling those, you know, for, for 10, for a dollar or something like that. Um, so it seems like both the common thread between for us both is that we were kind of brought up with this entrepreneurial drive early. And what I'm seeing with you is you never have a problem just going after your passion and just diving in, uh, completely. But I feel like that's, that's counter to what most people do. Why do you think that, um, you know, most people are afraid to give up or why do they give up on their passions and why are they afraid to like, uh, I guess, they see being an entrepreneur as, as risky and not for them. Why is that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's a very important question, and it's something I really think a lot about. Um, and my feelings on that are, you know, on the one part, there's something, I think now more than ever, perhaps entrepreneurs are being, like, glorified. It's the golden age of entrepreneurship, right? You can have an online business and travel the world and do interesting things. And that's great, but it uh, sometimes masks the actual... Uh, emotional uh, highs and lows, the the real sort of um, uncharted waters that you have to wade into sometimes. And that can bring up certain fears or insecurities. And actually working through those uh, is is part of the portal into becoming or being able to more, you know, fluidly work in different business environments and contexts and, and industries. Um, but then there's also a tactical side, which is you know, if you have good mentors or if you have good relationships or people you can model, then, you know, you can really cut down your learning time and and uh, miss out on one of the most expensive forms of education, which is trial and error. And so if you don't have to, you know, reinvent the wheel and can sort of stand on the shoulders of other people that are um, already doing something that you'd like to do, something similar to, then, you know, that really helps with the tactical side. But... I don't know. What do, what do you think? Uh, I think that people get caught up a lot on fears or insecurities or even in some cases um, a lower self-esteem where they think like, you know, who am I to start a business and stake my claim in this industry or who am I to do this and that? And I think that kind of thinking can really short circuit people's uh, perhaps larger drive or, or inclination towards entrepreneurship or being a, a business leader. Um, but I, but I think there's also a large margin for error on why, <laughs> in any specific case, you know, people choose to take a supposedly safer route. I think a big part of it is just uh, conditioning. You know, we're conditioned to by everybody else. You know, everybody else tells us this is what we should be doing. Um, you should finish high school, go to college, um, you know, save money, buy a house, uh, do all this stuff. And... When we kind of uh, buck that trend, it really seems like we're alone at this, you know. And a lot of people, we don't, we don't have any, any good information or role models to the contrary, I believe, um, unless we can really kind of break free for that and kind of go out solo and just be Omega, you know, and swear off everything else, swear off society. <laughs> um, but let me ask you, though, uh, who are some of your early entrepreneurial mentors and role models that made uh, a key difference in, in your life and in, in your journey? And how did you find them and what did you learn from them? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I see it. I think there's been two waves of, uh, of mentors and 
community support that I've experienced in my adult life. And the first was uh, when I was really getting the record label going. So I was 21 years old when I started a record label for a rock band. And, uh, and that first wave came through my dad's network of clients and friends who were coaches and business people and entrepreneurs themselves uh, and all in the, the small business. They had businesses between maybe quarter million to three or four million a year in size. And, uh, and I had a small group of people, maybe four or five, uh, that sort of raised their hand and were like, hey, I'll you know, in- informally advise you and help where I can to help you get a business plan, to help you do financial projections, to help you negotiate a contract. And so I got some help um, early on, you know, because I didn't actually go to, to college or anything after high school. Initially, I did later in life. But I, I feel like I got an MBA in the school of life from, you know, going through the whole entrepreneurship process with some support from an older generation. So those people are, are great. I certainly acknowledge them all uh, in my book. But then the second wave are more of my peers that, uh, that we've all built our businesses starting around the similar time, say 2008, 2009, and, uh, and have all achieved different degrees of, of success and really branched out into different uh, fields of, of interest. But uh, the, the second wave is more of like a, a group of friends that, you know, we're all hanging out in Vegas now. There's like 15, 20 of us. We travel other places, maybe Sweden or for Asia for a while. We would all meet up there and like just go out and party at night and exchange business ideas and just focus on, you know, working on our laptops or whatever in the day. And so those people are, are the ones that I featured uh, in my book or a handful of them at least. And, uh, and I'm really proud that at this stage, many of them have far exceeded uh, the accomplishments that I was writing about, you know, even two and a half, three years ago when my book first came out. So that's, so it's encouraging. I think it's, I mean, the takeaway here is uh, it's, there's no extra glory to be had by like, quote, figuring it all out yourself or going it alone or, you know, being in some isolated environment and not continually exchanging ideas and perspectives with other entrepreneurs um, doing similar things. It's really the the thing that breaks down inhibitions and, and paves the way towards, you know, greater success faster is having a network of, you know, informal, friendly, supportive uh, fellow entrepreneurs. So, and, and, and it's possible now more than ever to seek out and find people in communities like that. Um, you know, someone like yourself, Danny, has curated communities through your podcast, your writing, the work you do. And, and there's so many other people that, uh, have sort of held up a beacon of like, hey, you know, come check out what we've figured out and meet meet our <laughs> friends, fans, clients, learn about this industry or this area of focus, whether it's podcasting, writing a book, doing online marketing, having a, a drop shipping business. There's, it's not hard to find uh, resources and, and communities nowadays that, are, that have grown up around these different industries and, and business models. So it's, it's kind of a little bit like uh, once the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Um, once you go out and, and seek the resources, um, y- you can find it and you can, you can get involved. And um, you had two parts to that answer. You said one was apprenticeship and then two is uh, find like-minded peers. And you kind of uh, you learn the ropes and you realize that, yes, this actually is possible. Yeah. Um, how, how do you go about... Uh, if you want to like to take on a become like an apprentice, you know, if, if you want to find someone who is really successful, uh, 
how can you can get involved with someone like that? What do you recommend? Yeah. Um, uh, so one way is, you know, in any given field, so say you want to become, you know, an author or say you want to become a podcaster, you look around and say, who are the people doing this uh, at, the, at the highest levels of the game? And, you know, it's pretty apparent once you start looking around, you probably already know who they are in your industry. Figure out how you can start to build some relationship value with them so that you ultimately get on their radar initially and then, you know, have some opportunity to learn from and interact with them, which paves the way to become more of like a partner or a joint venture partner where you can promote their stuff and add value to them, uh, but not just be a student or a, you know, uh, or somebody that's in one of their programs. And ultimately, uh, having some type of a, a collaboration or becoming a peer with these people. So I think it's like a three or four step process that starts with, uh, I mean, the most common way is, you know, especially if somebody's doing training. So for example, if you wanted to become a podcaster, you probably know who John Lee Dumas is, an entrepreneur on fire. And you probably know that he's got, you know, a signature training program on how to launch a podcast. And so for example, if you join a program like that, then you get to meet him and interact with him, meet other like-minded aspiring podcasters and ultimately um if you hang around long enough and add value to the community get on their radar to becoming a promotional partner or a guest on their show for example and so i think with these things it's important not to rush it and not to have uh you know too much of an agenda so to actually start to build some relationship value and and add value to them or contribute to their community or take part in a training or something they're doing and being an active participant and then from there, you know, incrementally uh, building more and more relationship. Uh, and I have an example like this from my own life now. Like uh, I'm in the second year-long mastermind program I've joined. So, you know, it's a common thing now to have like a 12-month group of 10 to 15 people that go through a training and a year-long experience together facilitated by a coach or two. And so for me, I joined a program with a lady named Marisa Murgatroyd, who's pretty well-known in uh, online marketing and and branding. And uh, I started as a, as a student of hers and then became, you know, actively involved in one of her programs and did a one-on-one -on -one call with her and proposed a joint venture relationship and then promoted one or two of her programs. And then she eventually invited me onto one of her online summits, the Superhero Summit, which gave me a chance to get in front of her audience with what I was doing and my message and so forth. And then that paved the way to become, you know, quasi-business partners, but actually, you know, pretty good friends in the offline world, too. And so that's a way of, like, apprenticeship through experiential learning and doing. And, uh, and I think that that's a really great way to learn new skills, uh, get ingratiated into a new community, and get some cool, you know, mentors that are one to two years down the line from where, you know, where you want to be going with your business that you can sort of model and, uh, and hold out there as, you know, uh, a light for what's possible. And I noticed that you said when uh, you made that preposition, when you extended that preposition to her, um, you offered the, the opportunity for a joint venture partnership. So you were offering her something of value, basically. Um, I, I think that's, that's a big part of the equation, too, is, is just offering them something of value rather than just being like a, approaching them like someone like, oh, I've never done anything with my life. Um, you know, I want to get started, but I have nothing going on and, you know, uh, I need help. 
Yeah, I mean, if you, <laughs> I guess it's important to touch on the the what what tends to happen, which is the opposite of that, is people come in with no context, uh, and they're like, hey, um, you know, I'd love to pick your brain for uh, for some time over coffee. Uh, could we get together and you know just pick your brain? <laughs> you're like, okay, so you want me to like take time to have an open forum to explain anything that you ask me uh, for no money and at your own convenience with no upside to me, right? So if you think about it, of uh, about coming in and, and showing that you've paid attention to what they're doing and uh, and have you know maybe a unique perspective or an idea that they haven't considered or something that they might find useful. And doing that in a slow, like graduated uh, way is how to build, you know, a genuine relationship. And also, uh, it's funny when you just do that, like opportunities seem to pop up sort of spontaneously like popcorn. Um, you know, if you're, if you're involved with like three or four people in that similar capacity of partnering or adding value or um, launching a program together or taking part in a program, then you start to see these opportunities because then you're in the trenches of your actual industry uh, and you can start to see the contours and where you can fit in with something that, you know, that could uh, really hit the market in the right way. So you also say um, in, in your book, uh, well, you just said like you, you, opportunities pop up like popcorn. And um, according to you in your book, you say that, you know, being a lifestyle entrepreneur is kind of uh, about finding ways to cash in on your passions. And you said that there are opportunities out there all over the world and that the world is basically an addressable market. Is that what you say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I said, you know, to look at the world as both a playground and a potential addressable market. Uh, okay. Sorry. I stumbled over that one a little bit, but um, <laughs> no. I, haven't, I haven't said that for a while, but, but I still mean it. <laughs> <laughs> so so how, how can we like travel around the world and like, like, you know, when you went to uh, Vienna, for instance, you were working as a musician, but you were also, buying beer for 25 cents and selling it for a dollar. Uh, how does someone who doesn't have that entrepreneurial instinct, how can they, um, <laughs> how can they find those opportunities like that and, and make extra cash on the side? Yeah. It, it, well, <laughs> it's kind of a funny example, but I guess it's indicative <laughs> of like my later life. But, you know, there I am 19 years old in Vienna, Austria, living in a student dorm and, uh, and people would come through every day. So me and my buddy would be hanging out playing music and think, you know, what can we do? So we started throwing parties uh, four nights a week and just buying like 200 beers for 25 cents each and selling them for a, a euro, which is like, you know, four times markup. But a euro for a beer is still a great deal, especially for people in hostels. And then we sold them uh, the CDs that we were recording in the basement downstairs that we turned into a studio. So, so something like that is very, um, you know, uh, hamstrung or just put together on the fly. That's not like a quote formal business or, you know, an entrepreneurial venture, yeah. but it's the same type of spirit of like looking at, you know, what can we do to, to add value to people here and what can we do that's playful and fun and it gives us a fun experience of life and then, uh, and then just doing it. <laughs> well, what I like uh, about that example though, is that it's, it's just so simple and so basic. And I think that people really overthink uh, entrepreneurial opportunities, you know, and I have yeah. to help people, just get your minimal viable product out there. You know, don't don't focus on you know writing an ebook and creating a landing page. Just get your first set of clients. You know, because you're going to spend you yeah. know, three four months uh, down the line and you still haven't made any money. Exactly. So you know, the grown up version of uh, <laughs> selling beers in a hostel <laughs> and so is like 
I mean, a lot of people get tripped up with this whole like build an online business thing. But if you're in the the service space, if you're doing coaching or consulting or uh, some type of uh, interpersonal work, like the fastest path to cash is always getting a few clients where you can outline goals or ways that you can support them and uh, and map out what it's worth as an investment from them to to pay you. And if you've got a couple of clients paying you, you know, fifteen hundred or two thousand a month for, let's say, you know, weekly calls and email support or some project management for something that they're working on, then you've got five or six thousand dollars of income that's not bound to any specific place. So, you know, I've done coaching and consulting calls from Hong Kong to the Arctic Circle in Norway to my living room in Las Vegas, and and it really doesn't matter because the recipient is somewhere else in the world, but but being able to communicate and do the work and, and add value is something that doesn't even require a big website or automated campaign, you know, email funnel or any of these complex things that are useful but not necessary and I think become uh, psychological barriers to people actually engaging with their clients and providing a good or a service to the market. Yeah, and exactly. And you brought up a great point there where you said, um, you know, you could get one client for $1,500 per month or something like that. And, and all you need is like a, a handful of clients to make full-time income. But I think one thing that really holds people back also is that they maybe they don't have the confidence. And so they try to really overcompensate for that. Or maybe they're just afraid, perhaps, of, of putting themselves out there, I guess, enough to well, get what they want. Yeah, I mean, here's an important distinction of... Okay. Um, you know, people, there's a, that's like, if you feel like you have to prove your worth, then you're not focused on providing the value, which is another way of saying, if you're in your head about like psyching yourself out or proving that you've got the experience and credentials or, you know, trying to prove to somebody that you're the right person to hire, I think that's focusing on the wrong thing. And it becomes a, an almost a enormous amount of pressure that you can put on yourself Whereas if, if instead you switch it to the client and you say, well, look, you know, what are your big goals over the next year? And, you know, what systems and support do you have in place to get you there? And, you know, what's that missing piece that if you had it would really, you know, let you double your business in the next 12 to 18 months? And if you start shifting the whole focus to the client situation and how you, you know, sort of po- politely poking and prodding to see what uh, opportunities there are to help or support them or augment their growth, then it really doesn't, it's not, uh, it's not a question of like, oh, well, which college did you go to? And what was your GPA? It's like, oh, this guy's got a solution for my problem and he's willing to do the work and he's charging a reasonable price. It's just, it becomes a no brainer. Uh, so I think that distinction of going from proving worth to providing value is, you know, integral to people becoming more effective as, uh, as coaches, trainers, consultants, uh, healers, etc. It's an important distinction, but a, a difficult one to, uh, it's a difficult thing for people to wrap their heads around, I think, a little bit, because they put a lot of their ego and their own ego into their work, uh, whether it's writing a book or a business, I think. And uh, if, if someone says, uh, you know, we're not interested, a lot of us kind of tend to take that personally, I guess take rejection personally. Um, it, it, do, you, do you feel like it's, it's necessary to kind of like look at it objectively and, and focus on providing the value and, and, and kind of detach your own ego from the business? Um, I think 
I think it's a, a healthy balance, and I can <laughs> I can define exactly what that means to me. Is being like fully committed and engaged to the to the conversation or to the opportunity, but still being detached from the actual outcome, mm. and trusting that if you give full engagement and like you're, you know, if you play full out, uh, play a hundred percent and really do your best, but don't beat yourself up or don't you know psych yourself out if it doesn't work just say okay well what are the learning lessons there and how could i do it better and okay okay boom let's go and do this again like if you adopt that mindset then uh it's easy to like fail forward really quickly and get the actual competency and experience to to not you know you don't make those mistakes more than more than once most times um so perhaps that's helpful yeah that's great that reminds me of a, a saying i like where um I define success as um, if I give it my best and I learn something, then I'm, I'm successful in anything I do. And mm. you can take risks that way where it just becomes impossible to fail as long as you're, you're giving it everything you have and you learn something. Yeah. yeah I love that. I love that. And, and the whole word, I think failure is a term that just shouldn't even uh, be in most people's vocabularies because it's another uh, over, overcomplication um, that you just don't need instead of saying like, okay, this idea worked or this idea didn't work instead of like, I succeeded or I failed. <laughs> it's so much more dramatic than just being like, Oh, well that didn't work. Okay. What if we did it this way? Uh, and then just cutting the thread. Like there's this book, I think it's been quoted a lot, especially in dating space called the inner game of tennis. Right. And the inner game of tennis is like the mental game and it's applicable to almost any aspect of uh, of sports and life and business but it's like if you if you serve the ball and you serve is bad and it goes out of bounds then you can look at that and say oh i served out of bounds i should aim a little bit more to the right but what people do is say damn i always miss that serve i just can't serve to that side of the court and then they go one step further and they say you know i've just my backhand hasn't really been on this year something's happening with my with my swing then they go further and say you know i was never really cut out to be a tennis player anyways. And you know what, you know, I just, I don't think that I can do this. I might as well just stop playing. And anyways, that's just the prog- the mental progression that goes from one specific instance to, um, to just huge abstractions and, and generalizations in the negative that, that many people go down that path uh, instead of just saying, oh, that was bad. Let's try the different one and can go again. It's just iterate, iterate, iterate. That's a great point there. So, so much of um, how you respond comes down to your self-talk, basically. So how you translate uh, the event and and the words you tell yourself. And I know that uh, you talk a bit about this in your book. And I'm curious to know, Jesse, what does your self-talk look like? Mm. Do you you practice like your own exercises where you say affirmations or uh, how how do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) This is what I can say is like, you know, I've, there's been many times in life when I've put a lot of pressure on myself. So a lot of these things I'm saying, I'm definitely speaking from experience of like getting, being extra hard on myself, demanding a lot from myself, maybe putting a lot of undue stress and pressure uh, on myself which I think is can be productive up to a point, but I think there's other psychological triggers that are just as effective that are more positive instead of stress-inducing and, you know, double down and just get-it-done mentality at all costs. That can take a toll after a long period of time. 
So my own self-talk uh, modulates between, you know, um, introspection and curiosity, like just examining any question or a situation from different perspectives to see if I'm missing something or where the, finding out where my blind spots are. Uh, and then it modulates with, you know, refocusing on lo- longer term goals and broader impact. So switching from thinking about, you know, what do I want to accomplish this year to really tuning into the impact that I've had with, you know, uh, clients I've worked with, with authors that I've published and with people that have taken trainings and, you know, where are they now? Uh, and, and reaching out and following other people's progress is the similar mental twist from, you know, proving worth to providing value is like the analog there is uh, introspection and, you know, thinking about my own personal goals versus take having a barometer and really tuning into the impact I'm making with people that I'm actually working with and, uh, and getting, you know, feedback as well as validation from the success of people that, um, that I've worked with in some capacity. I see. So that validation um, kind of takes the form of reference experiences, like successful instances in the past. Um, well, you asked what my what my self talk is, and mm. and sometimes it's uh, competing voices, but <laughs> sometimes it's very clear. But one of the things I do to reinforce that is, uh, you know, I do like uh, one year and three year goal setting, and I do a whole process around just creating the space to really think about and get clear on the accomplishments that I want and the experiences I want to have. And then uh, I've, I've printed those out and I tape them next to my bathroom mirror. So, you know, at least once or twice a day, I'm sitting there brushing my teeth and I just read through them. Or, you know, I, I get up in the morning, I splash water on my face and I just glance over at them and start to seed into my subconscious the the goals that I've ascribed value to and that, you know, that I really want. So I guess as a word of encouragement, it's like, make sure I always try to make sure that I'm playing the game that I want to win. And I think that's important for other people to think of as well is like, it's one thing to just do a lot of work and be involved in a lot of projects and hustle. And it's another to make sure you're actually playing the game that you would be truly uh, satisfied with if you, if you do win and still risking the chance that, that you don't get there. I see. That's fantastic. And I, I totally agree with what you said earlier um, about where you just get frustrated when you try to double down and, and just kind of work yourself too hard and um, really needing, needing to focus on what's really important and where you're going overall. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do something like that where I'll say, I want to write two books in two months, and then I only read one book, and then I'm, I'm frustrated with myself. But then I I, I don't stop. I don't, but you wrote a book. <laughs> yeah, I did. A lot of people love the book, you know. So that's the good thing, you know. And or I'll be traveling, like I'm I'm going to Indonesia or something. But I'm I'm frustrated because um, my productivity is less than half of what it usually is, or something like that. But I'm, but I'm going, you're going to, to Indonesia. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's just um, it, I guess it's just a constant. Um, you you constantly have to be on top of it. You know, it's like nothing is ever fixed permanently, and you just have to kind of continually be implementing these, uh, this thought process and the good behaviors into your routine, I suppose. Yeah. And I think it's also this thing where, you know, I've always been fascinated with psychology and philosophy and just really like getting it, getting to know yourself. Uh, because even if you travel 
you know, to a new country every week, wherever you go, there you are, right? <laughs> you are your own constant traveling companion. So if there's a competing voice in your head or if there's, if you feel like you're acting in a way that's incongruous with your, you know, more um, uh, the values or the, the way that you really want to be living, then uh, it doesn't matter where you go because you'll have that same internal conflict until you resolve it or find a way to accommodate it. And so that's, I guess that's one of the real parts of entrepreneurship where sometimes it can be a, a lonely experience because not many people, if anybody, will really understand the specifics of what you're dealing with or going through or trying to accomplish, won't see the same vision that you have. So sometimes it can be a, um, a little bit, I don't know if lonely is the right word, but uh, solitary perhaps. But then uh, sometimes it's, it's entirely community-oriented and or, or if you're spending time with a big group of friends as opposed to hunkering down for two months to finish a project, I find that there's less middle ground uh, than there are polar extremes. Like I'll do a big push and work on something for a project or get a book ready to launch and really just work and be very uh, contained, you know, not even leave my, my complex for two or three days at a time. But then I'll go to a, a music festival and be with like, 20 friends and 100,000 people and dance the whole night and not think about work at all. <laughs> so there's more of the, you can't just look at the average and get an idea for what any given day or any given week or month looks like. Uh, and I think that's true for most entrepreneurs that do this sort of, you know, more lifestyle oriented approach that I think we both take and a lot of our, you know, friends and probably people listening to this may aspire to. Yeah, and I think it's it's so important to just kind of get that perspective and, um, like you said, the introspection, um, just to really focus on what's what really matters and, and what you really value in life. Um, I know for me it helps when I when I write a gratitude journal and just wherever I am, whatever I'm going through or good or bad, just focus on things that I'm thankful for. Uh, what does what does it what form does it take for you regarding introspection and just stepping back and and just well, I've always been a, I've always been an avid journaler, mm. and I've I've always loved to take a ton of pictures. So, I mean, if I ever need some perspective, I can flip back to my journal from 2007 and just read some entries and tune back into where I was, and then get perspective on, you know, who I am now in relation to that. Or go back and, uh, as you say, relive my book launch in Malaysia by looking through 500 pictures or something. So some t every once in a while, I like to just uh, remove myself from the day-to-day -day process and focus and, and conversations around building a business and doing forward-looking stuff and just take a moment and reflect on things that I have done and um, just acknowledging you know, things that I used to think were very difficult that now seem intuitive and easy or challenges that I remember dealing with for months or years that now, you know, are, are a total non-issue. And getting that type of a perspective to, to just re-encourage myself that, hey, whatever I'm dealing with now, it just, you know, will hopefully eventually just seem commonplace or second nature. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. I can, I and, can relate. Yeah? Well, how does that appear for you, Danny? Well, just, just everything you just said, I mean, always thinking about doing the next thing, you know, always being forward thinking and then um, 
and then you you just happen to go through some of your old Facebook albums or something. It's like, oh wow, I forgot about all that stuff that I did, you know, last year or whatever. Um, yeah. But it looks awesome, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, you know, I I guess I feel it may sound cliche, but I, sometimes I just feel so fortunate that I've had a ton of awesome experiences that I lose motivation a little to be like, I don't need to charge 110% towards doing some new adventure. You know, I can <laughs> just flip through my iPhoto and relive a, a couple years of adventure if I get the, if I get the bug. But, um, but I think that's the result of, you know, for years and years, I was just always, and I still am in many ways <laughs> on the go and traveling more or less continuously with intermittent periods of being in one place. And, uh, and I really enjoy that lifestyle of sort of constantly changing the, the context and surrounding and city. It keeps me on my toes, and I think it introduces new ideas and new variables that in turn stimulate ideas or give perspective that you wouldn't get if you're just uh, in one place, in one role, in one job uh, for a day-after-day day sort of continual experience. You start to harmonize with whatever you do continuously, and then it seems you adapt. People are very adaptable. So uh, you, if you're in a situation you're trying to break out, then you have to fight against the inertia of uh, the repetition and, and the length of time that you've been doing something. And, and that feels scary because it means having a lot of new experiences and starting to be okay with the fact that you won't know everything in this new, uh, in this new endeavor or in this new field. But you will eventually, if you keep showing up, putting in the work and iterating and, and adapting and paying attention. Uh, but if you can feel okay, if you can feel comfortable with that somewhat uncomfortable feeling of being uh, a little bit in the dark or not knowing all the answers or not you know, having everything at your fingertips, then that's the process of growth which takes place by stepping outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, and I think it's great. I think travel definitely accelerates uh, that process of growth and um, just just facing all of those fears and the roller coaster of emotions and and wondering like you know where am I going to sleep tomorrow night or you know how am I going to get from <laughs> yes. point A to point B or you know what if I'm sleeping in the bus station or something like that. It, and but it it you push through it and then you realize that you're uh, you're braver than you ever thought you were. And uh, yeah. <laughs> And, and you're still alive. It's like for, for all the times that I've been, you know, almost out of money on the other side of the world or like something messes up and you have a delay and miss like flights that were important for all the things that seemed like crises or worst case scenarios. Yeah. Thank God. But, you know, I'm still OK. And uh, and I, I think it was Tim Ferriss that said, you know, there's actually far fewer real emergencies than many people think there are. And. And so I guess there's one component of like this whole entrepreneurship and, and traveling lifestyle experiences, having some degree of faith, not necessarily in a religious sense, but just faith that, hey, you know, resigning to fate a little bit, that, uh, that whatever is going to turn out will ultimately be to your learning benefit, if not uh, exactly the way you imagined it would be. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, lifestyle entrepreneur and also your uh current endeavor after that. Uh, first, I want to ask you, I know that you've had a lot of people that have read your book and, you know, they've written to you or they've come up and, and met you and shaken your hand. W were you able to kind of 
I, I guess you, you were able to kind of jar them free from their default life path and, and start their own business. I know you do like a business on the weekend um, program. Can you tell me about some of the, the case studies and just kind of introduce me to uh, someone or one or two people who kind of turned their life around and who you helped? Sure. Well, uh, I mean, one one accessible example for yeah. you know the beginning of this current path that I'm on with publishing is our mutual friend Jasper uh, and his buddy Huzefa. I wouldn't say it was a turn your life around, but you know, I actually featured. I wrote about him in in Lifestyle Entrepreneur and and knew him years beforehand. But uh, you know, he he left a corporate job doing currency trading, hated it, got yelled at all the time, and eventually decided, you know, I'm just going to travel and do things that I enjoy. He had saved up some money and didn't know exactly what he wanted to do next. But then he started renting his apartment in Amsterdam out on Airbnb. And uh, just like we've been talking about, as he got up there and started seeing what people were doing and learning how to price you know, his room more effectively and learn how to you know, set up his house so that it uh, gets rated highly and people leave good reviews, he started making tens of thousands of dollars uh, a year from just renting out his place. And then it came to a point where every time I talked to him, he was like, yeah, I'm about to go diving in the Maldives or I'm hanging out with Danny in Malaysia or, you know, and I was like, dude, so what are you actually doing? And when he told me um, with what he was doing on Airbnb, he had an idea to do a book about it. And then we talked and I ultimately uh, became his publisher. And, you know, that book has opened up some amazing doors and opportunities for him, not least of which is, you know, he's being, he's speaking at the Airbnb uh, annual conference in Paris in November and interviewing Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, on stage in front of the whole um, <laughs> audience. So it's like through the through him just making a decision to change his life, starting to take action, figuring out how to make money and travel. So if you're renting out your apartment on Airbnb, you know by definition you can't stay there. <laughs> so you've got to go travel, and uh, and from doing that to ultimately having a a book and now a, a Udemy video course, and we've got a you know a bundle with different resources for Airbnb hosts that we've published and sell. It's become like a book-based business that helps people with this specific type of uh, you know what I consider a lifestyle entrepreneur approach to making money and being able to travel and have a, a more remote you know type of lifestyle. So you know that I mean that's one example, but uh, there's just there's really, really a handful. Another one that comes to mind is um, it was actually a reader from, from Lifestyle Entrepreneur. In the introduction, I, I put a, an invitation. I said, hey, if you read this book and gives you some ideas or you do something exciting with your life, reach out and let me know. And I put my email in there, my actual personal email. And, uh, and so <laughs> some of the letters I get uh, just out of the blue, sometimes they blow my mind. So you know, one guy named Dan Monroe... Uh, from New Zealand, uh, was a parole officer in the, pen, in the prison system in New Zealand and had risen up the ranks and was like managing 12 different parole officers. But he decided he wanted to totally change his life and like have a, an online business and become a confidence coach for men. And so he wrote to me and said, I read your book. You know, I got inspired by these ideas. I quit my job at the parole and I started doing coaching and now I'm leading small groups and ultimately built a, a training course. And now I'm writing a book and ultimately, uh, I ended up 
publishing him and writing the foreword for his book, which was this just awesome, like coming full circle and experience of feeling the impact of work that I had done previously, right? The whole um, effort that it takes to write and, and market a book coming back to you in the form of somebody finding it who you never met on the other side of the world, uh, reading it, having it make an impact, taking action in his own life, and then reaching out to share that. These are the kind of experiences that make you know, what I'm doing so rewarding and also um, additive to other people's lives. So, it, it, you know, things like that that just um, to keep things in perspective whenever I'm dealing with an issue or, or a hard time. That's fantastic. Uh, what was the name again, uh, The Policeman? Who, uh, That's uh, Dan Monroe, and his book Monroe. is The Legendary Life. The Legendary Life, okay. That's, a couple of takeaways yeah. I, I took from um, when you mentioned Jasper, too. Like, you mentioned Airbnb, uh, Udemy. I think, I think a big part of the game now is leveraging platforms that already have users, um, already have a large um, market that you can tap into, I would say. Um, say, say that one more time. Oh, oh, when you, when, like when you were talking of, about Jasper, for example, um, you, you mentioned uh, online marketplaces like Airbnb, uh, Udemy, for, for instance. Um, yeah. Platforms that already have a large user base that you can uh, sign up for a profile and start making money immediately. I think that's right. really, really important as well. Um, kind of just that, that piggyback thing. And then I know that, that with what you're doing with authors, like you're working with authors to, to kind of build a brand, do you look at that as kind of like the the long term game where where you kind of maybe put a book out on Amazon, but then you kind of leverage that to to build something bigger? Would you say? Uh, well, absolutely, Danny. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, for for the last two and a half three years since Lifestyle Entrepreneur came out, I really my intention was to use that book as a, um, sort of the the market, you know, as how do you describe it? Not as a business card, but as uh, a foundation for an entrepreneurship training company. And I was helping people. I was doing three-month-long client engagements to go from idea to launching a business and just training up entrepreneurs. So I, I built a business based on my own book, and it was sort of a dovetail of my passions. Of you know, I've always read a ton of books. I've loved writing. I've journaled since I was 15. So it just seemed like a logical fit to work with people as a publisher and meet them at this place of, you know, they've already started working on a book but don't necessarily know anything about uh, the book industry or publishing or, or book marketing or whatever. And I just become a, a sort of a publishing, a partner in, in the sense that as their publisher, we get the cover design, we do the editing, interior layout and formatting, and then really build a, a marketing campaign to launch their books but also always keeping in mind what that book leads into. So like with Jasper's book we talked about, it leads into a, a video training course for Airbnb hosts and, uh, and special deals with partners um, that other companies that provide services to the Airbnb economy. So it's you know, built a community uh, and other training program opportunities based on the book. And so, so in, with any author that we work with, uh, they're certainly entrepreneurial and, you know, I'd like to say that we help authors become entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs become best-selling authors. That's fantastic. And I think that um, just being an author, you know, I think 80% of people say that they want to write a book, but only 
1% actually do it in their lifetime. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's so, I, I love the concept you just brought up about um, this kind of like reinvention where you can become an author and use that as a springboard to whatever your passions are. Like you have a, a variety of passions. I have a variety of passions. I'm thinking of uh, Tim Ferriss when he went uh, from martial arts to supplements to author, and, and then now he's an angel investor. It just seems like a constant path of reinvention and, and growth and just kind of stepping it up to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the corollary of that is, you know, I'm somebody that can get bored very quickly. So <laughs> I've, I've adapted my whole life really to keep me interested and curious and, and doing things uh, so that I keep momentum and feel like I'm growing. Whereas, you know, I really just feel my worst if I feel stagnated or trapped or, um, you know, limited in, in almost any way. So it's, and, and, and I, somehow I think that that's characteristic of many, many entrepreneurs where it's one part like genuine curiosity and, and opportunity in the market and the other part like just a, a huge resistance to wanting to sit still or do the same thing over and over again. So thank God there's an outlet for that and that outlet is entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're listening to this interview and you're feeling stagnant or bored or you have a passion that's that's pulling at you right now at this moment but you don't know where to start, I uh, highly recommend you check out Jesse's book, Lifestyle Entrepreneur. Um, what else would you like to leave us with, Jesse? Well, you know, thanks a lot, Danny, for inviting me on. And again, I just think it's so cool that we're having this interview and conversation literally halfway around the world from each other. <laughs> um, it's like trading places, right? You're in the, the birthplace of lifestyle entrepreneur, and now I'm in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, in addition to, yes, you know, if anybody grabs my book, uh, I hope you love it. And if you're interested in what we've been talking about in terms of publishing and using a book as a business development tool, take a look at what we're doing at lifestyleentrepreneurspress.com and just see our approach to this. Um, the, the game is changing in publishing, and, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for uh, people that have a book in them to really elaborate that into a business and brand that's uh, reflective of their identity and, and lifestyle choices. So happy to share that with everybody. And uh, yeah, just thanks for listening. And I've, I've checked out some of those books uh, that you have published so far on your Lifestyle Entrepreneurs Press. And I think um, you have some good reads there as well, uh, which are kind of related to some of the topics that we've been discussing, right? Um, could you tell oh, me about you. a couple of those books, uh, just in case the uh, sure. listener would want to buy uh, one of those or all of them? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, all of them. We should do a bundle <laughs> offer somewhere. I don't think we have that. Yeah. But uh, you know, really, uh, we're, we're focused on publishing books uh, about entrepreneurship. No surprise there. But uh, personal development and strategies for success. And so, some of the books we have are uh, one is Master Your Mind Space which is Mindful Practices for More Calm, Clarity, and Focus in Just Five Minutes a Day. It's a book on really mastering that inner dialogue and taking control of your own mind to be more productive and calm and focused. Um, it's by a, a meditation teacher in Australia named Michael Atma, who's also a pretty dynamic entrepreneur. We've got uh, Launch Your Business by Rosetta Thurman, which is uh, a five-step process to basically turn your interest and passion into an online business. And, uh, and she should know she's traveling 
all over the world six, seven months out of the year and also as a community of like 30, 40,000 people, um, at least just on her email, that follow her on her blog around the globe. We've got another book, uh, The Legendary Life, we mentioned, which is all about how to have you know, greater confidence and be more congruent with your character and identity. So self-esteem, confidence, and um, just owning your presence and also defining and, and pursuing the lifestyle that you want. And uh, another book called Powerful Words by Dr. Clark Gaither, which is all about how language influences um, outcomes and how, you know, defining your, I think, secret language, he describes it, for success uh, and finding the words that motivate you and drive you forward and building those into your own vocabulary and, and reinforcing them. Uh, so a book about communication and the power of words. And uh, one of the ones I'm excited about that's coming out very soon is a book called Dream Training, which is by a, a man named Colin Gilmartin in New Orleans. And it's a book for people that are 13 to 16, 17 years old uh, to really inspire them based on Napoleon Hill's principles for success and um, many other aspirational, like motivational leaders. Uh, he's compiled sort of a workbook for inner city and, uh, and you know, people that have a lack of opportunities to see a bigger picture for what's possible with their life. We're working on a sponsorship to underwrite the cost of distributing a copy to everybody, uh, every inner city child in New Orleans between age 12 and, and 16. So different projects like this and the books and the people, the authors and entrepreneurs behind them uh, just make, you know, the day-to-day -day work diverse and exciting and also uh, building out a, a catalog of books that give people all the resources they need to, to have the kind of lifestyle that someone like Danny or myself has and really being congruent with your character and also uh, entrepreneurial in your approach to business and life. Yeah, it all sounds like great stuff. And uh, thank you, Jesse, and congratulations for everything that you're doing to um, you know, not only help these authors to bring these books uh, to life, but also to, to make a bigger difference and, and help people to change their lives um, through, through launching a business or self-talk or, or just um, having the confidence to pursue their passions. Totally. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, man. This has been a really great conversation. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. So if, if they want to, to find, those, uh, find out more about you and those books, they go to lifestyleentrepreneurblog.com? Uh, you can go there, but I'd recommend lifestyleentrepreneurspress.com. Okay. And if you just go to jessiekrieger.com, it's sort of the home base for everything I'm involved in. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. Have a nice night. And uh, you're in Vegas. What are your plans tonight? Tonight is uh, the, quote, night off. <laughs> but Friday, <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I will be out and about. It's 110 degrees here. Summer's in full swing, and I love it. Sounds like a tough life. Well, enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Danny. Thanks, everyone, for listening.